Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church Podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. You ready to get into the Word? Let's do it. Grab your Bible, go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter number five. The book of Ephesians, chapter number five. If you were here last week, we started a new series called Hashtag Relationship Goals. Hashtag Relationship Goals. And all the single people said, talk to me, preacher. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 22. Going to read a couple of verses to you. Then we're going to look at uh, two verses in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 22, records words along these lines. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Calm down. That's not what I'm preaching about. So all the air can come back into the room. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. As unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, glory to God, I'm teasing, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own home their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He keeps talking to the men. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, when I got ready to prepare this message, I wanted all of the men in that house to know this message is for you. I got you. I got you. We are going to talk about man's favorite topic in marriage, which is communication. Yes, it is. Glory to God. Before we get into the text, I got a quick video that I want you to see. So if you'll focus your attention up here, I want you to check out this video. Say it's not about the nail. Come on, say it's not about the nail. Y'all have to wake up this morning. I'm not preaching to the back wall. Say it's not about the nail. (laughs) Oh, glory to God. Trying to get some of y'all to lighten up. I want to talk uh, about something. I want to talk about this topic this morning. The cycle of pain. The cycle of pain. Over the years, I've had the, 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 the benefit of getting to, as a pastor, talk to a lot of people in a lot of different marriage situations. And normally, really, each and every marriage is always gets kind of trapped in this autopilot cruise control type feature. And that's just a normal part of life. And it's okay if what the autopilot is giving you is the right thing. Some people get trapped in this, uh, this cruise control of pain, this cycle of pain. Whenever you sit down with a couple that's fighting or you're trying to help them work through marriage issues, I actually did this uh, this week with a specific couple. They don't go to church here. They're not in this room, so don't be wondering who it is. 
And we were sitting down and we were talking, and uh, it, was, it was really a, a combination of, well, he said this, so I said that. And then because she said that, I said this. And so when he said that, I ratcheted up a notch, and then I said this because he's not going to say that to me and get away with it. And then when she said that, I said, oh, no, because the Bible said, and then I got her to understand what the Bible said, I'm the priest of the home. And then she said, and you get in this cycle where he said and she said, and every time you throw one of those out, Every time you throw one of those, he said and she said, every time you keep that cycle going, you're digging yourself further and further and further into the hole. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Don't nobody know what I'm talking about? You with me? Now, whenever you see people that are trapped in that that uh, that relational dysfunction, whenever you see people trapped in, well, then I said this, then she said that, and I said this, then what they're doing is they're trying to justify all of their bad behavior based upon what you did right? Because you said that, now I feel justified to lash out and go ballistic because you just don't get to say that to me, period, right? And what happens is really the main issue behind all of it, it's not the communication, it's not the, it's not the words, it's not the language, it's not the tone. We can fix all of those practical things, but really when people get trapped in that cycle, it's because they are keenly aware of their own needs and completely oblivious to the needs of their spouse, what you need is not even almost on my radar because you're not giving me what I need. And still, until you start giving me what I need, I'm not going to give you what you need. And then the other spouse is thinking, until you give me what I need, I'm not going to give you what you need. And so we got two adults in a cold war, staring down each other with both cannons pointed, waiting for somebody to be the adult, the grown-up, and do the right thing. I'm going to look at y'all way y'all looking at me. Am I, t- am I right about it? So people get, they get, they get caught up, they get trapped, they get, they get consumed in their needs. And then the culture, we cannot make biblical marriage look anything like our culture's definition of marriage. Our culture's definition says you are in my life to, 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 for me to, to, to be completely absorbed with myself and for you to serve me and give me everything that I need. And the Bible's definition of marriage is completely the opposite. We are getting into this covenant not so you can give me what I need, but so I can give you what you need. And then I trust God that if I meet your needs, God will move on your heart and then you will in turn meet my needs. But the focus is not what can you give me. The focus is what can I give you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Can I get a witness from somebody? So your Bible says, your Bible, the, the, the text in Ephesians has always been kind of, kind of interesting. People have always grappled with it and, and wondered about it. And, you know, the wives submit to your husbands. And, you know, there, there's got to be a Greek word in there that it doesn't mean that. Right? And then husbands love your wives. And that sounds pretty good until it says, as Christ loved the church. Right. Meaning he died for the church. Women go around talking about submission all the time, frustrated about submission. I don't feel sorry for you. Number one, you get to pick who you submit to. But he told us to love you as Christ loved the church, which means you die for the church. But the reality is, is Paul is dealing with not surface practical issues of submission and love and, and what does all that look like and what does all that mean. I'm not even here to talk about that kind of stuff. Paul is actually dealing with something much, much deeper below the surface. Paul is saying, 
he is identifying, he is illuminating the deepest emotional need in a man and the deepest emotional need in a woman. And he's saying if you will meet each other's most deepest needs, then your marriage will be the same thing as Adam and Eve coming together and becoming one. Now, whenever we talk about men's needs, this is kind of how we approach it. This is what men need. This is our thinking. They need uh, sex. They need food. And they need sports. Right? In that order. Y'all are acting so holy on me right now. You better quit. Okay. Now, all three of those things are fine. I'm not going to say we don't. But if that's, your, if that's the totality of your understanding of a man, you have a very shallow understanding of men. And then we think what women need is, well, they need to talk, they need to shop, and they need a break from them kids. And the women said, amen. But if that is the totality of what you think women need, you have a very shallow understanding of women. See, a lot of times in marriage, I have this fast food, I have this fast food problem, all right? I told y'all Wednesday night I've been working out and eating clean. It's been all downhill ever since I said that. <laughs> right? Bless me, Lord. That's right. Pray for me. And whenever you pull up to a fast food drive-thru, I have, I have years of experience with this. And don't even get me on this. This isn't, this is, my wife's not here, so I'm, I'm going to say it. When we know that we're going to a particular restaurant, is it too much to ask to think about what you want in the 10-minute trek to the restaurant? Is it, they've not changed the menu in 25 years. You've got four options. Burger, cheeseburger, chicken fingers or a salad and never mind it's like this mystery it's like mm, what do I want what do I, there's 42 people behind us what do I want I knew what I wanted before we even decided that's where we were going amen brothers pull up to the Starbucks a great example pull up to Starbucks what do you want I want a tall green tea frappuccino all right what do you want I want a half calf triple shot 180 degree espresso double top upside down with skim milk low fat and you're so what in God's name is all of this take everything you got heat it up and put it in the thing <laughs> hand it to us but when you go through a drive through what do they ask you what do you want and you say of course I want a Big Mac with fries and a Coke right if you get convicted, you're like, give me a salad with fries and a coat, right? How frustrating would it be when you pull up, if they say, what do you want? I want a Big Mac, I want a fries, and I want a Coke. And they fire back, well, that's not what you need. This is what you need. You need the chicken nuggets with a sweet tea. Well, that's not what I want. I don't care what you want. This is what you need. And that's exactly how it is in marriage. We pull up and we're trying to communicate to our spouse what we need and they're telling us what they want us to need because we're not consumed with what you need. We're consumed with what we want you to need. And what we want you to need is for, to meet our needs more. 
Does that make sense? So we get in this cycle. We get trapped in this cycle. We get trapped in this confusion of I'm not really listening to what you're saying because I'm so consumed with what you're not giving me that I cannot hear what I'm not giving you. And Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's identifying the two greatest needs in a man and in a woman. He's saying this, and listen to me, ladies, listen to me. The number one need, the deepest need that a man has is honor. It is respect. Y'all okay? The deepest need that a woman has is she needs security in the relationship. Yeah, and all they want to say, preach, bless God. They need honor, a man needs honor, and a woman needs security. When a man feels disrespected, or when a woman feels insecure, it creates emotional instability in the relationship, and the entire marriage begins to erode. As a matter of fact, we hear everything the other person is saying through the filter of our greatest need. If you would meet that one need in your husband or that one need in your spouse, you are more than halfway of meeting every need that they have. This is good whether or not you're amen it. If you would meet that one need in your husband or that one need in your wife, you are more than halfway there of giving them everything they need and ensuring your marriage is everything God wanted it to be. But we hear through our greatest need. We hear through the need for respect and we hear through the need for security. So whenever you are communicating with your spouse, it does, can, can, I, can I tell you, let, let, let me back up and say this. Can I tell you how to have a good fight real quick? You ever had a good fight? No. He's been married like three days. He's, no. You ever had a bad fight? Yeah. Out in the front yard in the underwear, didn't care what the neighbors thought, fight. Right, police might get called. Let me, let me show you how to have a good fight. This is the first thing you do. Listen, listen. This is the first thing you do. You enter every confrontation with positive language. Y'all are so quiet. Y'all have not been this quiet in over a year. You enter every confrontation with positive language. Honey, I love you. And no matter what, we're going to get this worked out. But we've got to address this right here. And as soon as you do that, you are meeting the security need in her, and now communication is possible. Whenever, as a man, whenever you speak to your wife, because she hears through the need of security, you have to encode your language. You have to encode your language. You have to, you have to package whatever you're going to say in a certain attitude with a certain spirit. And this is the attitude that's got to that's be in, that has to envelop everything you say. Because her greatest need is security in the relationship. Everything you say has to be wrapped in this. I will do anything for you. I'll do anything for you. Everything you say has to be wrapped in this. You're first. Single people just start taking notes. <laughs> Typing on iPhones. Everything you say to her has to, be, has to be enveloped in a spirit that says you're first and whatever you need to my own hurt, I will meet your need. Christ so loved the church that he gave. And whatever it is that you need, even if I have to put myself out, that is completely contrary to the culture's definition of marriage. Even if I have to, even if I have to do without to make sure your needs are met, that's what I'll do. 
And if you can envelop your language that way, y'all can talk about anything. Anything. If you're always sending them, ladies, am I right about it? If I'm all, if you're sending the message, you're first, and this relationship between me and you is never on the table. We might have issues, we might have fights, we might have struggles, but me and you, nothing's going to touch that. You're first. If you want to be able to communicate to your husband, you have to encode your language in a certain way. You have to envelop everything that you say with a certain attitude. And that attitude has to say this, I honor you, I respect you, I'll follow your leadership, I'm your biggest fan, ain't getting no help in here this morning. Y'all want me to preach on something else? Last week I was talking about expectations, y'all were like, hey, tell me about it, glory to God. You want to tell you why it's quiet in here? Because we, we have a tendency to hear messages like this and think, man, I hope they're getting this. Say it again for the people in the back, preacher. Say it again. Right. Giving that elbow while he's preaching. Oh, I didn't mean that. I just want to make sure. Did you hear that? We've, the podcast will be up this week. We're going to listen to this again. Right. You have to encode that language. Because when there's disrespect or when there is insecurity in the relationship, it all begins to fall apart. Now, let me give you a couple other ways. Can I give you a couple other ways real quick? I don't have, I don't have long. Let me give you a couple other ways on how to make sure that the need in a man and the need in a woman are both equally met. First of all, you have to have the right character to be married. And when I say the right character, I mean this. You have to have an attitude of a servant. To my own hurt, I'm going to make sure you have what you need to the best of my ability. Right? No matter what that looks like, no matter what I think you should need, I'm going to make sure that you have what you need. You got to have, you got to have that attitude that says, I'm going to be the chief foot washer of everybody in this family. I'm going to be the servant of all because if I'm going to lead, that means I have to be the greatest servant of all. Whenever we get into that debate about submission and leadership and authority and all of this stuff, and it all goes back and forth, and it can't mean that, and it can't mean this, can't mean that. We get into these, these power struggles, and Jesus views power completely differently than we do. Being in power doesn't mean you sit at the top of the hierarchy. Being in power means you sit at the bottom of the hierarchy, and you're serving everybody in the family. That's what makes you the leader. So you have to have the right character. Second thing you have to have is you have to have a strong connection. Listen to this. Is this too practical for you? We can hoop in a minute, okay? I'll give you something to hoop about before we leave, and then we'll leave. How about that? Deal? If you'll hang in here with me, we'll preach here in just a minute. Is that all right? Okay. You have to have a strong connection. The way you develop strong connection is you develop it through confidentiality. Now, listen, this is very important. That means you don't go outside and share information about your marriage. Unless they're doing something destructive, you don't go outside and share things about your marriage. In other words, your spouse has to be your safe place. Your spouse has to be the person that no matter if you get the greatest news of your life or the worst news of your life, they're the person you go to first. Right? 
There's, I was talking to a couple uh, not, not too long ago, and, and the husband, the, the wife uh, wanted to look at the husband's cell phone, and he was very weird about his cell phone. He didn't want his wife in his cell phone. He didn't want her in his cell phone. He always had it on him, and he freaked out, and everybody in here is going, uh-uh, oh, no, we already know, uh-uh, we already know what's going on, uh, all of these problems. And he said, well, I have a right to privacy. There is a difference between privacy and secrecy. You have the privacy to go in the bathroom and take a bath, and that's it. Right? (laughs) Because transparency is what builds trust that can make communication happen. So you have to have confidentiality. You have to be each other's safe place. You, You want me to tell you how to know who your safe place is? You want me to tell you how to know who your safe place is? It's real easy. Whenever, the, whenever you get the best news of your life or the worst news of your life, who do you pick up and dial on your phone first? Who's the first person you hit on your phone? Who's the first person to get a text or the first person to get a phone call? When you get the best news or the worst news, who's that first, the first person? Because that's your safe place. And if you want to have a strong connection, your spouse has to be that. Your spouse has to be that. You don't get to hide stuff from them. Right? For, for marriage to work, it has to be naked. And I don't mean physically, although it doesn't hurt. It has to be naked. It has to be open. It has to be transparent. That's why the Bible said Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed because there was total transparency in the relationship which made the oneness work. We want the oneness, but we don't want the transparency. If you bridle against accountability, marriage is not for you at all. If you bridle against the notion of somebody getting in your business and getting in, Lindsay, I, sometimes I can't even find my cell phone. I'm like, honey, where's my cell phone? Oh, I was in the tub and I just wanted to read your messages. I'm like, okay. It's either you, my daughter, or Jamie asking me to make a decision that I haven't met yet. That's really all it boils down to. <clears throat> so there has to be confidentiality. You have to be each other's safe place. There has to be that element of it's me and you against the world. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and now they become one flesh. And the bonds with everybody else to, in a sense, have broken because now this one is the most ultimate in my life. You hearing what I'm saying? The third thing you have to do, listen, is you have to be able to tolerate conflict. You have to be able to tolerate conflict. Defensiveness bottles up issues that will explode later on. When I say you have to be able to tolerate conflict, this is what I mean. You have to be approachable. You have to, have, you have to be a, 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 a place that your spouse can go and complain about what's bothering them, and they never pay a price for it. A lot of times in marriage counseling, whenever you hear two, uh, whenever you're dealing with a couple, a lot of times you'll deal with them one-on-one, and then you'll deal with them as a couple. And when they're one-on-one, they're very honest. They're brutally honest. What's going on? This is what's going on. And they just begin to list the litany of everything they've held on to for 25 years. And then you ask them, well, have you ever communicated this to them? They say, well, of course not. Why not? Because they would go ballistic. You know what I'm talking about? They would lose it. What does that mean? That means you're not a place that I can go to, and if I share what I feel, I'm going to pay a price for it. 
Whenever you, if a man is not a safe place, if a man cannot tolerate conflict, if he's defensive, when you go to him, he makes you pay the price by raging in anger. Getting angry and aggravated and pitching a fit. And we call it anger, but it's really an adult temper tantrum. You ever seen a 40-year-old man throw a temper tantrum? I have. It's quite a sight. It is equivalent to the eight-year-old laying on the ground, kicking their feet and whining. It's the same exact idea. It is all emotional underdevelopment. And they don't have the vocabulary or the ability to process those emotions in a healthy way. So they, boom, they explode. And now you're bigger and you're stronger. And you make everybody afraid when you explode. That's the price that men make women pay. They become intimidating and they become harsh and they become mean and they become sarcastic and cutting and bitter because I can't tolerate conflict. And I'm going to let this bottle up and then 30 years down the road, something's going to happen and all hell's going to break loose because I was never somebody you could go to and approach and Deal with conflict. The, the price women make you pay is they make you pay, they give an emotional frying pan upside the head. It's the best way I know to say it, right? If you make your husband pay the price, this is what that looks like. You're overly sensitive. Oh, man. Everybody, when I was talking about the men, they're like, that's good, that's right. That's good. Mm. Overly sensitive victimized, guilt-inducing. <laughs> it's, never, it's never been this quiet in Hope Unlimited Church in our history. In our history. I think if I preached a sermon on President Trump, it would be louder than it is in here right now. All right. That's the price we make you pay. And because I make you pay that price, there's never, there's never any resolve. And so we spend years pushing down what's really bothering us, pushing down what's really bothering us. And the problem is, is one day you will get tired of that. One day you will have your feel of that, and then you explode and you rage. How do you think people that are married for 40 years and raise four kids together and get them grown and gone and paid for college and paid for braces and bought cars and bought and paid for weddings and get them grown and gone and out of the house that so they've been married 40 years and raised four kids and got eight grandbabies, and then they up and divorce because they never dealt with the stuff. They couldn't tolerate conflict. And the reason they couldn't tolerate conflict is because they never knew his greatest need is for me to honor him and her greatest need is to feel secure in this relationship. And if I can meet that need in him and if I can meet that need in her, we can talk about anything. And it doesn't escalate to World War III because I'm making sure their greatest need is taken care of. No matter how, no matter how hard this conversation is, no matter how brutal it might be, no matter how honest we're going to be with each other, I just want you to know this. I love you and I respect you. I just want you to know this, that you are first and there is nothing in this world that I would not do for you. Now let's talk. You hearing what I'm saying? Let me, let me, let me show you something in Ephesians chapter 4 real quick. Let me show you something. Go to uh, Ephesians 4. <clears throat> Go to Ephesians 4 and I was going to start with verse... I'll start right here with verse uh, 26. I'm going to read a little bit further than what I originally gave you, Charlie. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. You there? You don't have to be there. We got on the screen. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> be angry and sin not. 
let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Be angry. Sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Those two verses are connected. A lot of times we read them disjointed and fragmented. They're connected. This is what he's saying. When you go to bed with anger burning in your heart towards your spouse, you open the door for the accuser to attack them to your mind. When those things go unresolved and undealt with, you open the door for the accuser to begin talking to you about them. Well, I should have seen this coming. They've always kind of been that way. How, what, makes, what makes somebody that is so deeply in love, they would stand before God and a preacher and all their family and friends and pledge their undying love to each other? Turn around and years later be in a divorce court doing their best to destroy each other. How does that happen? I talked to a couple the other day. They were married six months talking about divorce. I'm like, what do y'all, what, what's the problem? It's just so hard. It's like, hard? It ain't even had a chance to get hard yet. It ain't even <laughs> Pour three kids on top of it. And some aging parents and get a car repossessed and then throw some money struggles in there and then talk to me about it being hard. Like hard? You're just getting warmed up. That's so difficult. What happened is, is their attitude and their spirit toward their spouse changed because they let issues go undealt with and it opened the door for the accuser. And now, the, now I've sat with them in pre-marriage counseling and I've sat in them with post-marriage counseling. And in pre-marriage counseling, you would have thought, this is the most amazing man in the world. That, girl, that young girl thinks he created the earth in six days. She's absolutely amazing. And then six months down the road, he's the biggest jerk that I've ever seen and he's lazy and he's immoral and he's full of sin. How does that happen? Because you let the accuser in. Because you let the accuser in. And now he's coming through your language. And the, re the way you let the accuser in is you never dealt with it. And the reason you never dealt with it is because you both know if we go there, it's going to explode. Why did you never go? Because you both know that if we go there, it's never going to get resolved. So I think I'll just bite the bullet and stuff it and move on and then tell everybody at church, things are wonderful. And talk about how blessed I am and on the inside, I hate my life. How does that happen? Because you're not meeting each other's needs most Deep needs. Deepest need. Me and Lindsay were talking about this last night. I was sharing with her a little bit about what I was going to preach. And I was like, when was the last time me and you just had a good fight? I'm talking about send the kids to Jenny Shamal's house because it's going down. <laughs> and we, we couldn't remember. We couldn't remember. It's like, when did we fight? No. No. We don't know. It's not because we don't disagree. We do. But before we disagree, we both enter the confrontation with nothing about this right here changes. Nothing in the world. 
and I love you, and this is what I want. This is, this is how I think it should be. But if I have to sacrifice that for you, I will. And she does the same thing. And then I win, and there's no fight. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. And she's watching on Facebook. I love you, sweetie. I was playing. Be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I got two minutes. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he might have to give to him that needs. This is the part I want to get to. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Band, you guys can come on up. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. Watch verse 31. Listen closely. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice be put away from you. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has given, forgiven you. Now watch. Bitterness, wrath, anger. Keep that verse up there, Charlie. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. He is, he is discussing three types of language laced with three types of emotion. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. The word clamor has within its connotation the voice being raised. So the moment you detect the volume, it's coming from bitterness over something. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. You see what he's doing there? Bitterness is tied to clamor. The moment the volume increases, you've already crossed the line of communication that he doesn't want. <laughs> oh, dang. It's really hard, it's really hard for preachers because everything becomes a sermon, right? Turn the lights off. Can I get a witness from some? <laughs> clamor is laced with bitterness. Oh, bitterness, wrath, anger. And then it progresses from clamor, it progresses into evil speaking. That's when you begin to say things you shouldn't say. And that is always laced with wrath. You've made me angry, and this is what I think about it. You begin to lash out because this is what I think about it. Bitterness, wrath, anger. Clamor, evil speaking, malice. Then when it progresses to the third degree, it's laced with anger and malice. And now you're going to pay a price. And I'm going to teach you, don't you ever cross me again. I'm going to teach you, don't you ever bring that up again. I'm going to teach you, that is untouchable to you. I'm going to teach you, you don't have a right to go there in this relationship. And with each, with each progression, our vitriol gets more heated and our volume gets louder and our anger gets more hot and burning and incensed. And he's saying when you do that, you're destroying your relationship, number one, and you're grieving the Holy Ghost, number two. We always read this verse, let no corrupt communication present it. We're always like, don't cuss. 
Cause that, and I don't think you should, all right? Don't cuss. That's what it's talking about. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying this is what corrupt communication looks like. When you speak with clamor, evil speaking, and malice, laced with bitterness, wrath, and anger, you've crossed the line. You've crossed the line. That's in chapter 4. Chapter 5. Instead, wives, honor your husbands like you honor the Lord. Husbands, serve your wives and love them as Christ loved the church. And when that happens, he goes all the way back to Genesis. When that happens, you get to, you invoke in your marriage a Garden of Eden moment. To now we're talking about Adam and Eve type stuff because you've met each other's needs. Isn't that beautiful? Stand on your feet. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll, I'll preach on sex next week. It'll be real quiet. <laughs> right? I'm teasing. I'm not going to teach on that. Before God instituted the church, he instituted the family. I said this last year, and, and, and I want to say it again. It, it, is, it is a shame. It is a shame that divorce is so rampant in, in the church. But I'll tell you why that is. It's because we are fundamentally selfish people. And we go into marriage with the mentality of, you meet my need. We go into marriage with the mentality of being a taker instead of going into marriage with the mentality of being a giver. My wife loves old couples. Whenever she sees an old couple anywhere, she just like gets all the, the, all the feels. Right? She's like, oh, so cute. That's going to be me and you one day. The man can barely walk. He's like this. Right? She goes, that's going to be me and you. I'm like, this looks great. Right. The woman's, you know, fit and the man's decrepit. She's like, that's going to be us. Praise God. I'm going to take care of you. When, when we were pregnant with our first daughter, when we were pregnant with our first daughter, she bought me a book about the relationship between a dad and a daughter, and it was a story. And this is how the book went. This is how the book went. It was like, it started off with this girl being a little girl, and you're my dad, and I love painting your fingernails and us picking flowers and hanging out. And it was like, oh, that's so sweet. And then you get to the tear-jerking part of the book where it's like, and then one day you give me away at our wedding, and I'm like, I rebuke that or whatever. And there's... And then, you know, you're raising your grandkids. And this is how the book ended. This is how the book ended, Travis. And the book ends like, I'm holding your trembling hand as you sit in the hospital bed. Because I got Parkinson's now, I guess. And I'm about to die. And I'm like, this is horrible. Where's the mom at? She's out shopping. Dad's in a, with a breathing tube or something. <laughs> <laughs> the deepest need of your husband is honor. The deepest need of your wife is security. 
Listen to me, husbands. Listen, listen. You've got one job. One, not two, one. I know you got them kids to raise. The best thing you can do for those kids is love mama right. Right? You might not be able to buy them everything under the sun. That's fine. If you love mama right, you will leave a legacy that they will never forget for the rest of their life. I don't want my kids. To, I don't want my kids. I don't want my kids to, to to look back twenty years from now and think, "Oh, we got to buy this and we got to buy that and we got to go here and we got to see this and we got to do that." I want them to know, mom and dad were inseparable. Mom and dad were best friends. Right? Wives, you've got one job. One. Honor your husband, even when he's not acting honorable. Jesus loves the church and gave himself for the church when she did not deserve it. It doesn't matter the behavior she's giving you. This is how you respond. I love you and you're first. It doesn't matter how he's acting. It doesn't even matter. There are people in here who have husbands that are not even saved. It doesn't matter. I'm going to honor you as I honor the Lord because that's your deepest need. I have seen wives with unsaved husbands preach at them and lose them forever to God. And then I've seen wives not say a word about the gospel, but love them and honor them, and the husband come into the kingdom of God because of the conversation of the wife. You've got one job. One. Lift those hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for the wisdom that comes from your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your anointing. We receive your instruction. And God, I declare the blessing and the peace of God over every marriage in this room. I declare we drive out conflict. We drive out unresolved hurt and unresolved pain. I speak the peace and the blessing and the goodness and the favor of God over every marriage in this room. We declare the enemy has no foothold in any marriage in this room. Can I get a witness from somebody? We declare that every marriage in this room is blessed with the favor and the love and the touch of God on it. If you believe it, give Jesus. Jesus a shout, hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.